For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Recently published in the Calgary Herald, an article titled, Where He Belongs, the latest news regarding Calgary's deceased COVID mascot, Turk Diggler. Turkeys. Turk Diggler, named after the central fictional adult film character in the 1997 film Boogie Nights. In Boogie Nights, Dirk Diggler was played by Mark Wahlberg, which to me is just another example of Canada's ability to remain wholesome, yet edgy. I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. As you recall, the wandering, lonely, urban turkey started out primarily in the Ramsey Park neighborhood. Turk, a supposed escapee from the famous Calgary Stampede Fairgrounds, eventually strutted and gobbled his stuff in department store windows, looking for a mate through several neighborhoods throughout the spring until a run-in with possibly Calgary's urban coyote population ended his short run this past July. Turk Diggler never found a mate, but despite not leaving behind a biologically successful legacy, the Wayward Turkey has some 6,000 fans on the Ramsey Turkey Facebook page and a line of Turk Diggler merch, proceeds going to the Alberta Children's Hospital Foundation and the Calgary Food Bank, which makes me smile. Not because of the charitable merch line figureheaded by a turkey named after a fictional porn star, but because turkeys are food and food is figureheading donations to a food bank. I mean, he honestly didn't think I was going to go the children's hospital route, right? Anyway, the turkey still has his spot in the sun, 
and Turk fans are not ready to see it fade. They are collecting signatures and soon cash to have a bronze sculpture of the bird erected on Scotsman's Hill. Mom, why did they name him Turk Diggler? Uh, parents, get ready with your answers. That's what you get when you anthropomorphize wildlife, okay? You have to navigate the reasons why a turkey, a bird found almost everywhere, is a sculpture, and why that turkey is named after a fictional porn star. I got a feeling beneath those jeans is so wonderful just waiting to get out. You reap what you sow, Calgary. One last tidbit I found amusing, gleaned from the Calgary Herald, was a description of the trials and tribulations of finding the right sculpture candidate. They apparently searched far and wide, including interviewing potential sculptors in Germany and China, but ultimately a sculptor was selected just 100 kilometers away, or 45 minutes in the U.S., in Cranmore, which says that the Google machine in Canada must act a little different when you type in sculptors near me. Or the Calgary Herald was just trying to get every last drop of stock out of this Thanksgiving bird. This week, we've got the Texas desk, talking trees, emails, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is, as you know, sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. That old orange sign is hanging in just about every small town for a reason. Steel. The clock is ticking, my friends and neighbors. There are only a couple of short weeks left in the bird hunting season, and it is my duty and responsibility to get that dog on real live birds before the season ends. Last week, as you know, we were in South Dakota chasing the Chinese ringneck pheasant which is a non-native species that was introduced in the U.S. sometime in the 1880s. Well, I should say successfully introduced in the U.S. sometime in the 1880s. According to the Audubon Society, notable figures such as George Washington attempted to release pheasants well before the 1880s. We're gonna teach them how to say goodbye. Anyway, the successful stock most likely originated in Oregon's Willamette Valley, brought there by the ambassador to Shanghai at the time, Owen Denny. He then went on to create a very budget-minded breakfast chain. One of those things is true, listeners, and that thing has nothing to do with a ridiculous meal called Moons Over Miami. See you at Denny's. If you take things at face value from a conservation standpoint, the pheasant is a big fan of fringe habitat. It thrives in areas where agriculture and cover meet. What benefits a pheasant will typically benefit a lot of other animals. And what a pheasant likes isn't always what our native species truly prefer. Thusly, the ringneck pheasant is not considered, for the most part, invasive or harmful despite the fact that they have been documented fighting with prairie chickens and sage grouse, occasionally even stealing a nest to use as their own. The ringneck pheasant can fly 40 miles per hour, which compared to the mallard duck, a comparison I am making because the mallard duck is another very popular game bird, mallards will fly at 25 miles per hour. Your average rooster at full size will get to about 3.5 pounds. That's just a fun rooster fact for you. Anyway, 
A listener from the UK writes in with the effects of COVID on the shooting industry and shooting pastimes on his side of the Atlantic. The RSPB, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, which was originally a ladies' society and was formed around the fact that all the fancy ladies putting feathers in their hats were actually decimating bird populations around the world. Fashion, just like beavers. For more on that topic, you can read that book, The Feather Thief, that everybody's talking about. It's a good one. Anyway, the RSPB states that the 60 million pheasant and red-legged partridge, we call red-legged partridge chucker around here, that have been released into the countryside for the purpose of shooting and eating will outcompete the native songbird populations for food. Why is this happening now? Because shooters can't congregate to shoot a bunch of birds because of COVID restrictions, which is leaving a lot of unhappy bird dogs and a heck of a lot of birds in the UK. So all these birds, these 60 million birds, are just wandering around competing with the native birds by eating them out of house and home. This, friends and neighbors, is a real-time happening right now example of non-native invasive species versus what's happening here in the U.S. with the pheasant as a non-native species that we don't call invasive. Invasive means harmful. Another interesting aside is South Dakota's annual harvest of pheasants is over a million birds on most years. South Dakota is typically the most talked about pheasant state in the U.S. So let's say it has the most pheasants killed in the U.S. But for the sake of argument, we're going to say that every other state in the Union is also killing one million birds a year. The United Kingdom, Britain, Scotland, Northern Ireland, would be killing 10 million more pheasants than the United States in that case, and doing it on only one quarter of the land mass. Now, I took a few liberties with the math there, but it's close enough for this theoretical situation. The fact is, South Dakota kills the most birds. The numbers drop off dramatically from there. In fact, most states that have them may only report a few thousand pheasants. Which means to me that folks in the UK are wild game bird-eating sons of guns. In fact, I was just shown a picture of a beautifully wrapped, like shrink-wrapped grouse that says beware of shot. Because remember, in the UK, you can sell game. It's almost like it's a different country. I could have had it away with his cracking Judy, my old China. Are you telling pork pies in a bag of tripe? Because if you are feeling quickly, why not just have a J. Arthur? Moving on, quick update on the snort report. <laughs> Eyeball chafe. The little girl had a ring of scabs that did look slightly infected around her eyes, caused by repeated abrasion from grass, sorghum, and corn tassels. I gooped up her eyes with antibiotic ointment, which must have felt great because I am not lying to you. After the first dose, which was a wrestling match to administer, I would then show her the bottle and she would line up for treatment. Instant relief. We all like it. Anyway, thank you to the listeners who wrote in, including this gem from Paul Kinderman. Quote, hey, I use a mix of beeswax and coconut oil on those areas. Nose, paws, and in the cold, balls. 
I hope you mean the dog, Paul. <laughs> Moving on to the ever-popular yet seldom-visited Texas desk. Possible mountain lion attack in Hood County, Texas, leaves one dead. Officers were called to the scene of a missing persons report in Lipan, Texas, on December 5th. If Lipan, Texas is familiar to you, it probably isn't for the only stat listed on the town's Wikipedia page, which is that a governor from Oklahoma once died there. Anyway, the current victim, not the governor from Oklahoma, had apparently been missing since the morning of December 2nd. Officers found the body of the 28-year-old man in a wooded area. His wounds were that of an animal attack. Although there have been less than 30 confirmed mountain lion-related deaths in the U.S. in the last 100 years, a mountain lion is the suspect. And will more than likely knock that old dead Oklahoma governor down a notch on the Lipan Wikipedia page. The Hood County Sheriff's Office, Texas Game Wardens, and the Governmental Trapper are working on locating the mountain lion. The public in the Lipan area are urged to be mindful of their surroundings and keep young children and animals inside at night. Now, anywhere mountain lions are present, a coroner may have a relatively simple job of identifying cat claw wounds, but this is Texas. Just in native species, the coroner had to rule out bobcat, ocelot, jaguarundi, and jaguar. On the non-native side, as my friend Joe Rogan often likes to state, there are more tigers in Texas than the rest of the world where tigers are wild and native. Current world population estimates for tigers are only about 4,000, whereas in the whole of the U.S., there may be 5,000 in captivity, which is a lot, even for a state as big as Texas. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground but i use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance axis deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door, visit MauiNuiVenison.com That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. If you thought that last one was a crappy story, Texas Parks and Wildlife recently responded to an anonymous tip reporting that a bunch of crappie carcasses had been dumped in Lake of the Pines, which is a giant impoundment of Big Cypress Bayou located west of Shreveport, Louisiana, and east of Dallas, about 150 miles. Officers responded and eventually hooked two anglers who had in their possession 350 crappie fillets. The legal possession limit for crappie in this part of Texas is 50 per person, which put these two about 173 crappie over the legal possession limit, which is a crappie way to behave if you want to call yourself an angler. (laughs) No! Now, aside from that bad joke, there's some discussion as to what bag limit and possession limit mean. So, let's break that down using the Texas Parks and Wildlife website. Daily bag limit. Quantity of a species of wildlife resource, such as fish, that may be taken in one day. A day is a 24-hour period of time beginning at midnight and ends at midnight. Possession limit. The maximum number of fish a person may possess before returning to their residence. Possession limit is twice the daily bag limit on game and non-game fish, except as provided in the guide and does not apply to fish in the possession of or stored by a person at their residence. A residence is a permanent structure where a person regularly sleeps and keeps personal belongings, such as furniture and clothes, but does not include a temporary abode or dwelling such as a hunting or fishing club, or any clubhouse, cabin, tent, or trailer house or mobile home used as a hunting or fishing camp, or any hotel, motel, or rooming house, used on a temporary basis, implying that if you are in transit, the possession limit applies until you get to your primary residence. Now, you always have to review the regulations for changes in your home state and get familiar with the regs of any new states and waters you fish. For instance, if you followed the definition of possession in the state of Texas while fishing in the state of Montana, you would be on the wrong side of the law. Be it canned, smoked, salted, frozen at home or in your truck, those fish are part of your possession limit, which to me makes a lot of sense. In fact, I would go as far as to say the state of Texas does not have the health of its fisheries in mind with the way their possession limit rule is written. And be honest. With the exception of maybe some super high water content fish like halibut that holds 
seemingly forever in a freezer, do you want to stockpile a bunch of freshwater fish in the freezer? No, they're better fresh. Eat your fish, then go back to fishing. Don't be a hoarder. If these daily and possession limits seem arbitrary to you, think of it like this. If you have hunted or fished for a number of seasons, you know that sometimes when it rains, it pours. Which is the reason for a daily bag limit? This is what you can kill and keep any day of the season. Some days you will get nothing, but some days you will call in a lot of turkeys, or bull elk, or moose, or hit that crappie depth and water temp combination perfectly. You won't be able to keep them off your hook. On these magical days, you won't want to stop. But if you give a rip about the resource, you will. Yes, you called in a group of toms early in the season, and you could have shot all three, which, let's say, is your seasonal allowance. But you are only allowed one per day. Yes, you will be out in the woods again tomorrow, probably in the exact same spot. So what's the difference between shooting two right now? Well. Because we all know that tomorrow brings a whole new set of anomalies and dynamics to that same turkey spot, you may never call in a bird. That is hunting. That is why the rules are written the way they are. A tag does not represent an animal. It represents the opportunity to take an animal. Moving on. This show is reaching you right now through a huge and extremely complex network of interrelated structures. The vibrations of my voice moving the diaphragm of this microphone. Those movements turning into electrical impulses that transmit into my computer, the resulting sound being uploaded to a server through fiber optic cable. Then, all of you downloading that file and hearing my humble attempts to make sense of the natural world and all of us in it. And so much of what we talk about on the Week in Review has to do with other kinds of networks. The connections over time and space between plants and pollinators, predators and prey, humans on tinder, plants, and the old string and can. One particular kind of network, getting more attention recently after years of study, is the web of underground fungus that spreads throughout the forest and is known as mycorrhiza. Often, we'll look at an oak tree and think that particular tree is its own thing. It's separate from the birch tree and the dug fir. That oak is just trying to get enough sunlight and water and nutrients, and it wants to drop its acorns somewhere. They'll take root and grow into more oak trees. That's it. But over the past 30 years, the biologist Susan Simard and others have been documenting how that oak might not be so separate. Those strands of mycorrhiza connect that oak to basically every other part of the forest. The fungi thread around the roots of the different trees and can transfer carbon, water, hormones, and minerals between the trees. The resulting connection allows those trees to do amazing things. Through this system, older trees have been shown to shift resources to younger trees. When one part of the forest is threatened by pests or fire, other trees in the network can prepare in advance. When certain shorter trees are shaded by taller trees in the summer, the network can shift more carbon to those shaded trees to allow them to keep growing. When a coniferous tree that keeps its needles continues to grow through the winter, 
it can transfer carbon to deciduous trees that lost their leaves in the fall. All of this and way more happens through the strands of fungus running through the soil. When a tree is separated from the network, it doesn't grow as well, even if it gets optimal sunlight, water, and soil nutrients. Dr. Samard was able to show that when the new Douglas fir trees were planted in a part of the forest where other vegetation had been cleared away, 10% of those trees were likelier to die than when they were connected through mycorrhiza to other different species of trees. It seems that in this case, it's less every tree for himself and more all for one and one for all. Those networks have led scientists to wonder whether you could see all the parts of a forest adding up to one giant organism. With all those different parts connected the way separate parts of your brain are connected by neural pathways, we think of Aldo Leopold's urging to, quote, think like a mountain as a metaphor, but maybe, in a sense, that mountain really is thinking. And maybe the same thinking works in reverse. After all, there are more bacteria living inside of our bodies than there are human cells. And without those bacteria, the networks inside of us wouldn't work. So, can I really say that I'm a discrete, standalone organism? Or am I also a system of networks, receiving information from sources within me that are not me? You just want things to be simple, don't ya? Sorry to disappoint, we live on a fascinating rock. Moving on to an update, kind of, at the man-made meat desk. This week, we have to go back over to talk about man-made meat. Made of man. Try to keep up. Last week, I talked with Brad Leone, host of It's Alive, as well as Butcher Brian Merkel, head butcher at Wiker Acres out of Duluth, Minnesota, from which I just enjoyed a lovely pig liver pate about the ethical and logistical ins and outs of cultured meat. When I say cultured meat, I don't mean meat that has a sophisticated understanding of French Impressionist painters. That's just the term the industry uses for living cells grown in laboratories for humans to eat. Or, if you remember grade school, when the biology teacher had you spit in a cup to see what grew, that's the type of culture we're talking about. The whole conversation about lab-grown meat got a whole lot thornier recently when a conceptual artist successfully grew tissue that started with cells taken from human beings. The whole sales pitch of the lab-grown meat industry is that the product is not similar to meat, the way the Impossible Burger might be similar to meat despite being derived from plants. The product is, in fact, meat. It has exactly the same cellular structure. It is living tissue. So, if you've taken a few cells from a person, and then you do all the things you do to living cells to make them replicate, eventually you'll have a whole lot of human cells. What then? The other sales pitch of the cultured meat industry is that nothing had to die in order to result in that burger or those chicken-ish nuggets on your plate. And so, if no human being had to die in order for that patty of human cells to exist, if you ate that, let's call it, humane burger, see what I did there, would you be a cannibal? 
Ew, gross. Tastes like chicken. As mm, unpalatable as that idea might be, it gets us into lots of interesting questions about meat eating in general. How important, ethically, is the line between human beings and the other animals on the earth? Once you can eat the tissue of a human and animal alike, it might not be so easy to discount the suffering of the animals that we're more used to eating. Orkin Telhan, the artist who created the project, has received death threats. If that ain't ironic, I truly don't know what it is. Some people have also gotten in touch with Telhan to see if they could recreate his process so that they could grow meat made from their own cells. That's called recycling. Although he started the project to get people to think harder about an industry that presents itself as ethically clean, most cultured meat depends heavily on fetal bovine serum that's extracted when pregnant cows are slaughtered. Just a quick note, lots of pregnant cows get slaughtered, but we're not talking about like developed calves here. We're talking about like inseminated cows. Anyway, I bet old Orkin never expected to get those particular emails. Part of me is glad for this art project, because maybe if we have to think about the ethical implications of eating technically human meat, we'll think more carefully about the ethical implications of all the ways meat comes to us. And by the way, if we can eat technically human meat, what about technically endangered white rhino? Or technically polar bear? Or the meat substitute we've all been waiting for, I can't believe it's not Dodo, or Komodo Dragon. I think you get the point. One of the most valuable aspects of hunting is the way you cannot hide from causing death. And when you have to face that death, that act of taking a life, you become better equipped to make good decisions in that department. I think there are a lot of similarities between those that raise and eat from their garden and those that raise and eat a pig or a calf or a lamb or a chicken and those that hunt. We are aware of the process. We have our hands in the soil and the blood under our fingernails. With a lab-grown alternative, we don't and won't, and that, my friends, is what scares the hell out of me. It's willfully forgetting where meat comes from. It's signaling that we could be open to condos and not cows, land divided, not united in open space. To me, and to be clear, we are veering way into the opinion department here, We are saying it's okay to not care. We'll come up with an alternative that is almost as good. Now, who wants a burger? And what's your flavor? That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, please write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. And of course, if you are loving what you are hearing on Cal's Week in Review, tell a friend or two. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber 
get some axes, deer, sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. And use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. 